0: Well, grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter five, Matthew five. We are still working our way through um, the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Let me mention a few things while you turn there, because uh, I may forget later. Um, uh, Tomorrow is the visitation program. We're going to launch it. We'll have a list of people for you to choose to to go visit. So choose your favorite people and go see them. Um, But uh, obviously, the more people we have sign up and to show up, uh, the more people we can reach, particularly the week of Easter, because course today, Palm Sunday. Um, Wednesday, our students will be going door to door during Wednesday evening service uh, to invite people to come to Easter services. Uh, you're, you're invited to help us with that. Uh, the more people we have, the more groups we can split up, which means the more people we can reach. Um, but certainly excited to have the youth do this. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, out here, I believe they're still out here. Are some flyers that you can take home with you that have all the information about our Easter service. Our goal, remember, is we want to reach uh, ten people with Christ to to be baptized this year. We're going to do a lot of events. We've got some to particularly announce as the weather is slowly starting to turn semi dry and warm. Um, we want you to take a handful of flyers and you need to invite at least five people to worship ser- to our worship services. Bring them to our breakfast if, if you want. They don't have to bring anything. Just come and hang out with us. If, if they want to do that, at least come to worship service. And uh, uh, we want to make Easter a major outreach of our church, the first major one we'll have. So take advantage of those um, and uh, invite everyone you know. There's over 50,000 people in Franklin County. We do not have enough churches to reach all 50,000 people. Um, so uh, let's make that a problem. Let's make it where we are reaching so many people for Christ. Well, with that, uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Uh, it's the next page over of where we were last week. And with that, if you will stand with me, reverence for God's holy word. Matthew writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Anyone would use you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, as always, we ask that you would open our hearts, our minds, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hands, and our feet, that we would go in obedience to Christ. Lord, today is, is Palm Sunday, which, which is where Jesus is received as King. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Only days later for him to be rejected and denied and betrayed and crucified. And right here we have the teaching of our Savior, which is radically different from everything else. May we see him who arrives as king and is crucified as such. He who we follow who has defeated death. May we listen to what it is he has to say. Be transformed by it. Apply it to our lives. May I decrease so you can increase. Name your son we pray. Amen. Proceed. There's an old joke of a uh, letter that was written from one neighbor to another. I'd like to read it to you. Dear Frank, we've been neighbors for six tumultuous years. When you borrowed my tiller, you returned it in pieces. When I was sick, you blasted rap music. And when your dog went to the bathroom all over my lawn, you laughed. I could go on, but I'm certainly not one to hold grudges. So I am writing this letter to tell you, your house is on fire. Cordially, Bob. Well, retaliation certainly is something that we humans are known for. We retaliate all the time. We seek our own vengeance all the time. I remember whenever I was a substitute teacher... And because I had a master's degree, I was qualified to uh, substitute and work with some of the more troubled students. It was always a small class, handful or so. And uh, they they certainly kept me busy, made the day go by faster, and gave me a few good illustrations. And one kid in particular, he was a smart enough kid. um, His problem was retaliation. I Remember one time he he something happened at lunch. I don't know what it is. I pulled him aside and I asked him what happened and he's going on about, you know, frank da 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 da. da And I said, "Okay, what did you do?" Well, I told him, I said, okay, now what?" You know? Well, you know, he he know not to do it. I said, okay. Then what? Well, well if he came up to me again. I said, "Oh, okay. Okay." Then what? The problem is, is he discovered that, that revenge was a bottomless pit. Once you start down that road, there is no quenching that. And in trying to get through his head, whether he's a troubled student, a middle schooler, or whether he is the average adult, just human in general, this is an area that we really struggle with. We want revenge. We want honor. We want retaliation. We want what is ours. Notice Jesus starts, as we have seen throughout these examples, going all the way back to chapter 5, verse 20, where he says, Your righteousness must exceed that of the religious elites. And so he starts with, their teaching, and then he gives us his teaching. So, as we've done thus far, we'll start with the outward legalistic law here in verse thirty-eight. You have heard that it was said, "An eye for an eye, tooth for tooth," so on and so forth. Now, to be clear, Jesus is quoting from the Bible. He's also quoting from the Code of Hammurabi and a host of other ancient Near Eastern law books. Right? We we know this is uh, this uh, uh, um, uh, lex talionis is was the way of the ancient world. So, if you're wanting References here, Exodus 21, verses 23 to 25, Leviticus 24, 19 to 20, Deuteronomy 19, 21, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for, for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. That sort of language. What the Pharisees did was they obeyed this law. They loved this law. They would applied that to their personal lives. So, so what they would do is when their rights were violated, they sought revenge, right? After all, that's what it says in the Bible, right? You do this, I now have the right to do this, right? And so and so what they do is, is by this time... In the first century, uh, particularly monetary reparations had replaced physical maiming. So if you did uh, commit this crime or, or wound them in some way, not even a, a legal issue, just, just a personal hurt, then, then they would charge you. They would try to get money from you. We, we do this today, right? Um, if you look at someone the wrong way anymore, expect a lawsuit coming your, your way, right? So what the Pharisees would do is to weaponize the law for their own benefit, now, that was not the purpose of the law. And just, just as I can give you verses that say eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, you will find laws that, that tell us do not seek revenge. Why? Because the commandments of law of, of eye for eye, tooth for tooth were in the civil realm, right? It's, it, it's why, like, if, if a crime is committed against you and you decide to respond in kind, so someone rear-ends you, okay, and you turn your car around and you run into them, Look, the cops aren't going to come and say, "I get it, move along." Right? That's not what they're going to do. You're both going to jail. Okay, right? Because we understand that that when it comes to the legal world, the civil world is is you can't do that the law comes in, the state can come in and determine what judgment is. So what the Pharisees did is they took what was reserved for the civil magistrates and applied it to themselves. But the Bible's clear. When it comes to our personal lives, we do not seek revenge. Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Pretty straightforward. Proverbs twenty twenty two: Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. He will deliver you. Psalm 24, 20, or Proverbs rather, twenty four twenty nine: Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, I will pay the man back for what he has done. Don't do that. In fact, if we go back to Deuteronomy 19 we referenced earlier, this this makes it clear this commandment is applied to the civil magistrate, not to personal vengeance. Again, Deuteronomy 19, verses 18 to 21, if you're wanting um, uh, the reference there, it says the judges shall inquire, right? They shall determine then an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. So once again, the legalists lower the bar for their own benefits. Wouldn't you love it to turn the Bible into an excuse for your own revenge seeking? We would love to be able to say, hey, God says it's okay for me to poke you in the eye, right? You know, God says it's okay for me to be uh, malicious and evil and, and bitter towards you, right? We would love that. And that's what the Pharisees would do. But notice Jesus tells us to resist an evil person. What does that mean? So we're going to move from the outward legalistic law to, as we've done all along, to the inward loving law. What does it mean to resist an evil person? Well, Jesus tells us, starting in verse 39, going on down to verse 42. First of all, it means that we must surrender respect. Surrender respect. It's there in verse 39. I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on one cheek, you know it, right? Turn the other cheek. Now, when I was growing up with our Bibles, I would take that literally. And to a certain extent, we, we do need to take it seriously, right? So so uh, I think I've told you this before. We grew up, my brother and I, we fought all the time. Uh, if we weren't fighting, we weren't happy. And so so uh, mom and dad gave us some liberty when it came to hitting each other in the arm, right? Because where your muscle and uh, you know, uh, more tissue is there. And it would bruise, but it wouldn't be a bad bruise, right? And so, so we just... Boom, right there, you know, we would do the uh, uh, little games, you know, where like if you looked, I get to hit you in the arm as hard as I can, and, and within reason, you know, we didn't get in too much trouble with it. So I remember reading this, thinking, oh, i got to be a good Christian kid, so if my brother hit me in one arm, I'm like, oh, God tells me i got to let you hit this arm, right? And he'd hit harder over there, right? You know, I, did, I didn't like that Bible verse at all, right? We didn't slap each other in the face, hit each other in the arm. Now he never was as generous to me as I was to him, the pagan. Anyway, so 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 Uh, But but what we have here, remember, is a cultural context. The slap was a common Jewish insult that would express rejection. If if I were to think of modern examples of this, I would say here in America it would be to spit in someone's face or even spit in the ground in front of them. It's an act of disrespect. It's an act of rejection. It it is to to, to dehumanize them almost. In the Arab world, if you throw your shoe at someone, because the shoe represents what is dirty and filthy and unclean, and you're, you're tossing it at them. If, if you want an example of this, December 2008, when then-President then president George W. Bush went down to Iraq with the then-Iraqi prime minister. You remember this, the, what happened, right? One of the journalists, middle of the press conference, took his shoe, both shoes actually, threw him at the president and the prime minister. That was a sign of disrespect. Jesus is warning about seeking revenge in order to preserve your honor. That is foreign to you and I as Americans. There's nothing more important. If you ever play sports, right, you get this. If you're going one-on-one with a dude in basketball, and he just does the thing, and he's just going to tomahawk jam it over you, you're going to say, you know what, you got me. You got me. No, you're like, look here, punk, watch what I can do, right? Watch a bunch of middle school kids in any sport, particularly men, and you're, you're going to see this. They're always trying to up one another because respect is You get respect when you prove you're better than them. Jesus says you've got to surrender all of that. You've got to surrender all of that. So someone shows you a little bit of disrespect, so they smack you across the face. You know what? You are so loved by Christ who would give his own blood and life for you. You do not need to go around trying to, to get respect from others. You've got to surrender that. I'm not saying we disrespect each other or we don't do things that are honorable or worthy of respect. But if you spend your life like some redneck from Wayne County trying to prove that you're a man, you're gonna discover that that is a bottomless pit. There will always be someone who will not respect you. There will always be someone who won't show you the honor you think you deserve. And you'll discover you will be the most selfish person in this life because you gotta go around. They've gotta think good things about me. They gotta think I am awesome. They gotta think I'm the man. They gotta think I'm the woman. Well, that is a miserable life to live. What if you can live your life knowing that you already have enough in Christ? You will be free to give rather than to demand. And offer one cheek, give the other. Would you rather be honored or for God to be glorified in your life? Secondly, we must surrender our rights. We have to surrender respect. We have to surrender our rights. You notice there in verse 40, he says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, some think this is a reference to robbery. And there may be some truth to that. That's usually the way we, 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 we forgive me, uh, my stuttering's coming back. My, uh, we could apply it to robbery, um, but there may be more implied here. Uh, in the Old Testament, if you were to borrow money, you had to have collateral. Uh, whenever I was a young married man, uh, I called a bank to, to uh, we were trying to figure out student loans. And I thought, you know, what are the interest rates? You know, so I called a bank and I had no idea what I was doing. And I, and, and, and I asked about a loan. And, and the lady on the phone, very nice, she said, what do you have in terms of collateral? I said, I have an 87 baby blue Chevy Nova. It goes zero to 60 sometimes, but never uphill. Right? I, was like, I didn't know that was a question a bank would ask. I thought it was: Do you want this money? Check yes or no. Do you promise to pay it back? Check yes. Right. I thought that was all the process. I didn't know what I was doing. It was young and dumb. It was like three weeks ago. And and so so right. You know, you gotta have collateral. Well, that's the way it's always been. If you're going to borrow, you gotta have collateral. So I offered my wife and kids as usual. And so 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 that the, the same thing is here. But so you can offer collateral if you're going to borrow. But what do you have collateral if you are poor? One of the things you have. Is this outer garment, this 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 cloak? And so, what you would do then is you would give the person you've borrowed from your outer garment. The problem is, however, is that in the Old Testament, sensitive to the needs of the poor, they understood, which is why we don't target the poor with our loans. Is why uh, um, um, uh, predatory loans we're not as fan of as Baptists. But that's neither here nor there. So, so if you if if you've given, you know. uh, If a poor person is borrowed from you, what you would do at the end of the day because their only blanket they have is that coat, you would return that coat at the end of the day so they can stay warm, at which point they would return it the next morning until the the debts were paid off, right? And and that seems to be the cultural context. One commentator writes this, But what if one of the parties violated one of these provisions? What if the lender came, stood outside the house, and asked for the garment, and the borrower refused? What if the poor person felt rightly that the loan was already paid off and the exchange of the garment was no longer required? This is where a lawsuit and court injunction might come into play, and the Pharisees had detailed rules for using the court system as the tool for dealing with the problem. Jesus is saying that we should go out of our way to right all of our wrongs, to be reconciled with one another. It means to have the integrity, to seek forgiveness for when we have done wrong, to reveal that we are not angry or resentful, though we have been wronged. So when someone comes to you and takes your tunic um, and they want to sue you, let him have your outer cloak as well. Again, It's all about revenge-seeking. This means as Christians, we have to surrender our rights for the glory of God. This is really hard for us because what we say is, I have the right to what they, what they took. I have the right to be treated better. I have the right to do this or that. Like, yeah, you do. But what do you want? You want peace? You want to prove your points? You want to be a Christian or you want to be the man? You want to enter to this, this cycle of bottomless pit misery? You can claim your rights all you want. Thirdly, it means to surrender your repose. It has to start with an R, so forgive me. Your repose, your your ease, your rest, your, your, your comfort, whatnot. Notice verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, that word force is quite an interesting word, isn't it? Force. If anyone forces you to go one mile. Well, we know the historical context of this. Go all the way back to Persia was the birth of the Pony Express. And... You know, the Pony Express was like the first uh, 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 internet, if you will, right? Where, where if you had news, you could use the Pony Express, so you would get on your horse, go to the station, get on that horse, you'd leave that horse to rest, go on and so forth. Well, well, uh, the Persian law allowed that if necessary, someone on the Pony Express could force someone else's horse to, to be used, right? And under the law, the, uh, that person being asked to, to, to give over their horse Was compelled; they were forced into it, and they had to do it immediately, no questions asked. Like in every action movie, the cop something happens to his car, so what does he do? He opens up someone's car and says, "I'm a cop. Give me your car." And he's like, "Dude, I don't have anything to do with this. I don't care. I'm the police." Right? Well, it's sort of sort of similar thing. I don't know if that's legal or not. It's just in every action film, right? I don't know what happens to the police cars in every action film. Well, the Romans did the same thing. A Roman soldier in certain situations could compel a passerby, to use that term, to to help them do something. And there's a great example of this in the Bible. In fact, we can stay in the Gospel of Matthew. Can you think of someone who was compelled to, um, as a passerby, compelled to do something for Roman soldiers? If today is Palm Sunday, think in five days, a dude by the name of Simon of Cyrene on Good Friday was compelled to help Jesus carry the cross. The word used here in Matthew 5, force, is the same word in the ESV will translate compelled in Matthew chapter 27. Same word. And so what you would have then is, is in the Roman system is they would ask you up to, to force you to help up to one mile. They would compel you that you have, to, you have to commit to one mile of what it is they ask you to do. And you don't have to go any farther. And Jesus comes and says, you know what? If they force you to one mile, go a second. Go a second mile. And what in the world is he talking about here? He's revealing that though we want a life of ease, though we want a life of comfort, and though we don't want to be annoyed or we don't want to be bothered, he's saying you as a believer in Christ be better. See, the temptation was, was, was to say, I just can't believe it. I've been asked to do something that I don't want to do. I can go a mile. Maybe, maybe I can talk him into a half a mile. Maybe I get someone else to do it. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're going to surrender all that sort of stuff. You're going to go. Give me whatever that need is. And you're going to go farther. Not because you're asked to do it. Because the Christian who is conceived out of the gift of sacrifice... We'll do the same for others. We must be willing to serve regardless of circumstances or comforts. If there is a need, we'll meet it and we'll go beyond what is convenience even when it is inconvenience. Finally, we must surrender our riches. Notice again in um, uh, or verse 42, rather, uh, not verse 41, verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Begging was common in Jesus' day. We, we meet several beggars in the New Testament. In fact, uh, wherever you find religious communities, uh, you will find that at the center of that religious community, you will find beggars. And for, for rational reasons, right? Because you think if people are going to go talk to God, they're probably going to be a little more generous along the way. So, if, so in, in Jesus' time, you see beggars all over the temple. They're everywhere, right? Right? Um, Today, if you go to Salt Lake City, the closer you get to the Temple of the Latter-day Saints, you will find more and more beggars. And this is why, right? You, you can go to Mecca, do the same thing. You can go to Jerusalem, do the same thing. This is true, true across the board. Um, and uh, Jesus is asking his followers to be generous with their resources. Use God's blessings to be a blessing to others. One of the interesting things about our tax system, and we can complain about that all day, but don't seek revenge. And, And so one of the interesting things about our tax system is that we can actually study what fuels generosity. Have you ever thought about this? Americans are by far the most generous people in the world, have been for a long, long time. And I think there's good reason for that. And part of it is our tax system, right? Uh, 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 you, you, you may give to American Red Cross, so you can write that off on your taxes. I'd rather give it to the American Red Cross than Uncle Sam, right? Uncle Sam seems to be able to eat just fine without me. Okay, that's sort of, sort of the, the logic goes often. But one of the things we've discovered is the more religious you are, the more generous you are with your money. And in fact, you, you can do this. Do studies of those who lean left religiously, uh, that is, they, they're more secular in their ideology, and those who are more conservative, that is, more religious in their ideology. And you will find it's not even close. One of the things you'll find with presidential candidates is that they will add um, a lot of uh, donations right at the end of the year, that they're, the year that they're going to uh, 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 release their tax returns. Why? Because this is a major issue. And what you'll find is the more secular we become because there is a reliance on government as a type of, of charitable organization, uh, which is sort of silly. Um, but anyways, um, because of that worldview, whereas religious people see it's my obligation to help the poor, not, not the government's. right? And, and so, so that, that is, a, that is a, a common correlation that we, we see there. Um, so the more you attend religious services, the more generous you are uh, and the larger percentage of your income that that you give. And and, and so the Christian comes to this and they say that makes complete sense because our understanding of generosity is not law, give 10%. Rather, it is gospel because we see that Christ didn't merely give 10% of his blood upon the cross. He gave every last drop of it, even to the point that he became water. So, too, our view of generosity is not to say, look how holy I am. I cut off the, the top 10 percent, top but rather Christ has given me so much. How can, I, how can I not give what I have? You see, we do not give out of abundance, but out of sacrifice. So give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Just give. Go. And all this is in the context of retaliation. What we want is sure, I'll do X if you promise Y. And I'll hold you accountable to that. You know what does Jesus say? Just live a life of generosity, live a life of freedom. Live a life where you don't have to prove yourself to anyone because you have Christ. You don't need all that garbage. You realize this is a radical message. Go to work and see, see how many people are living by this. Hang out with a bunch of preachers who are all ambitious. See, 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 see how often we, we live by this consistently. We struggle with this. Jesus says, be better than that. Your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and the religious elites. Back in 1991, two hikers in the Italian Alps stumbled upon a corpse. They thought what they found was another hiker who got caught in some sort of avalanche or, or just in the COVID in general and died. So when they discovered it was a body. They, they called the authorities, and the authorities realized this wasn't just a mere hiker. This was a, this was a body that had quite a bit of age to it. To this day, the, 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 the body is known as Woodsey the Iceman. I think I halfway pronounced that right. It's not Otzi. I think it's Ertzi, something like that. Um, sort of like Urzel. It's not Otzel, it's Urzel Or Erdegar, not Odegar, for the two people who understand soccer and Arsenal. To this day, um, Erzi the Iceman is still Europe's oldest and best natural human money. According to uh, secular worldviews, I'm not going to get into Young Earth Creation or of that sort of stuff. He is over 5,000 years old. This would put him before Stonehenge was built, before the pyramids were constructed, and even before figures like Gilgamesh, if you know your Babylonian history, the Gilgamesh epic and all that sort of stuff. The corpse has, been given, a, uh, has given us significant information about the life at that time. For what we can tell, he's likely a shepherd. I know your Bible, that's not too surprising. And we know how he died. Isn't that amazing? Been dead all these years. We know how he died. He was murdered. We know this because it seems as if a fight had ensued. What likely killed him was an arrowhead in the back. It's amazing, isn't it? The oldest mummy we was murdered. Revenge, retaliation, and violence has been a human pandemic disease we've yet to be cured of. There is only one vaccine that will fix that. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that at the heart of what we believe? We're starting Palm Sunday where everyone loves Jesus. can win any election he wants. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Son of David, before long. Seeds of bitterness, seeds of malice. Hang the man they praised as king. They'll crucify him as criminal. It's the same human disease. But there at the cross, Jesus takes upon himself our need to seek revenge. Our need to retaliate. Our need to choose violence. And in its place, we can choose resurrection. We can choose love. And as we become more secular, our world will need to know of that message. There is a better way. Not the way of the legalists, but the way of love seen at the cross. So maybe you're here and maybe God is laying someone on your heart you haven't talked to for a long time. So that God is laying on your heart that there is someone who just the mention of their name raises strong emotions. What I want to ask that you will come and you will lay at the foot of the cross for enough blood, for enough violence, for enough anger has been shed so that you can choose forgiveness, you can choose love. Let's pray.